This morning, the gospel reading comes from Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them the parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I was walking down the sidewalk in a, another city, and I was walking down the sidewalk, it was in the evening, and I, on the, just off the curb stood a young woman wearing a full-length cape and holding a wooden staff, dressed like I thought she'd just come out of Middle Earth. And so curiosity got the best of me, and I had an extroverted moment. You ever have, I don't know if you, any extroverts here, by the way? Do you ever have, or even introverts, do you ever have like an extroverted moment where you just kind of like, I, I, I'm just going to do this, right? I had an extroverted moment, and I said to her, and I said, I, I looked at her, and I said, you got to tell me about the, your outfit. And she says, oh, yeah, well, I hear you know, my cape and my staff. She said, I'm a witch. And I said, tell me more. Tell me more. I need to know what's going on. I need to know, tell me more. And she said, well, I'm a good witch. I'm not a bad witch. I'm not casting evil spells on anybody, you know, like we think of in the movies. But I'm a good witch. I, I'm, I, he, she was a Wiccan witch. And she said, believed that she could harness the power and energy of nature to, to bring good to people and bring good into her life. And so she had a, what we would call a Wiccan-based uh, spirituality. And so she was telling me about this, and then we were having this conversation, and so naturally she said to me, she said, what, what do you believe? And she didn't know, I was, you know, just strangers on the side of the road, street. I said, well, I'm a Christian. I, I didn't go into the whole pastor thing. <laughs> I just said, well, I'm a Christian, and, and, and she goes, oh, I used to be a Christian. And I was like, tell me more, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean you were a Christian? She said, well, I grew up in the Assembly of God Church. And I went there, we went there every week, we were there every Sunday, my family, Wednesday night, we were there, we were fully involved, I was involved in our youth group. And I said, well, I, I'm just curious, what, how do you go from a, a Christian upbringing or believing in Christ to being a Wiccan witch? What happens, how do you do that? Like, and she said, well, if I'm really honest with you, it started in youth group. 
You see, the youth pastor at my church, she started to make forward advances at several of the girls in our youth group. And he began to uh, pray on them. And she said, at first, I didn't say anything. I, I, I didn't mention anything. I, I knew it was happening, but I didn't want to mess things up or ruffle feathers. And then everything was fine until he started to make advances at me. She says, that's when I told my mom and we left the church. And she said, that's the moment I began a journey, a spiritual journey towards Wiccanism. And I was like, oh, I understand. <laughs> I understand exactly your journey now. I'm sorry. I'm a pastor. I'm sorry that happened to you. And we had further conversation, and I, I said, tried to encourage her a little bit, and I kind of said, you know, there's a lot more men in the church who wouldn't do that than would do that. And I am sorry that this person, because sometimes when, we, when people come into the church, they, we come in, all, we are all sinners, <laughs> and we bring our, our, our sin with us, and it takes us, some of us, longer than others to get through that, to work on that. But anyway, this had happened, I apologized to her. And one of the things I often say to people, just as a side note, maybe this will help you this morning, is don't confuse God with people. Don't confuse God with people. That's not God. What one person does to you, if they label themselves as a Christian, doesn't mean that that's God. <laughs> that's them. And we have to think about that. We have to be aware of that. But the question that, that the youth pastor failed to address, and I think a lot, many of us can fail to address, this question is, do you, are you concerned at all with another person's relationship with God? Because what he did was he actually damaged her relationship with God through his actions, right? So he wasn't, he wasn't thinking about her relationship with God. He was just thinking about himself. And I think what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees this morning in this gospel lesson, he's saying, are you valuing other people's relationship with God? Are you caring for other people and their relationship with God? Or are you just worried about your own relationship to God? You know, as I was wrestling with this question, I actually had a, I was planning to go a whole different route this week, this, this Sunday, because this week, these next three weeks, we're going to talk about a house, a road, and a tree in the Gospel of Luke. A house today is about the woman who searched her house. Next week is about a road, a blind man by the road, and how Jesus uh, heard him. And then we're going to talk about Zacchaeus in the tree and how Jesus saw him, and how important it is for us to be valued and heard and seen, to be known by God. That's what it was the purpose of the series. But as I got into the text and as I was different things happening this week, I began to think to myself, you know, I have, I have to, I feel like I'm being led to speak to the church this morning. Not to individual Christians, but what does it mean to be the church? Because really Jesus is answering a snarky comment by the Pharisees. <laughs> Did you hear it? And, and, I, and it's really addressing the religious community. These parables are not addressing lost people. They are addressing a snarky comment by the religious community. Do you all get, ever get snarky comments? Snarky emails? Anybody ever, that ever happened? Anybody, all right. Anybody write any? <laughs> Take my email off of your list. So, um, but here's what happened. Just remind ourselves. But the Pharisees, it says in verse one, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners... And eats with them. That, that, that's snark. If you didn't pick up on it in the, in, the, in the exegesis this morning, that's snark. They're making this snarky comment. And, and Jesus is saying to them, he says, he, he says, well, I'm going to answer you 
because part of the question that they're asking is, Jesus, why are you spending time with sinners? Why are you eating with them? Because you're making yourself unclean, religiously impure, religiously unclean by having dinner with them. And I think behind that question is another question. Jesus, why aren't you having dinner with us? Why, why sinners and not us? We're the ones that are, that are really trying to live for God and focused on God and we're trying to do everything right. Why are you not spending time with us? I think that's a valid question. I think that might be some of their own concern under their snarkiness, is why isn't Jesus eating with us? So, and that's the question, why dinners with sinners? This is all through the gospels. Jesus is always having dinners with sinners. I just like the rhyme of that, sorry. I thought you'd remember it, remember it better. And then what happens in these dinners with sinners, two things are happening, they're having food together, they're sharing fellowship together, which created relationship, and they were having conversation. And so Jesus here in this parables is saying, I am interested in having conversation with people who are far from God or don't know God or feel like they're far from God or that the religious community has rejected. I wanna have conversations with these people. And so Jesus is described as a woman searching her house for the lost coin. That's Jesus. And he's saying that he's going after what is of tremendous value to him. If the coin and the sheep are tremendous, have tremendous value to the shepherd and to the woman, then Jesus is saying, the, the people that I'm having dinner with, they have tremendous value to me. They matter to me. They are extremely important to me. And so I think about this you know, uh, parable, and these parables all go together. There's one more parable uh, that you know is called the parable of the prodigal son, which comes right after this. So there are actually three stories that Jesus tells to answer their snarkiness. So he says this, he says, people that, that are far from God or don't know God or even apathetic to God or feel rejected by God, I wanna spend some time with them. Now, in the church world, here's where we need to talk to the church a little bit. You know, in church world, in, if you're not in church world, uh, let me bring you into church world for a minute. We used to use this terminology in church world over the past 20 years talking about being a seeker sensitive church. Does anybody remember that terminology, anybody? Or seeker-driven church, Willow Creek would be a model of that if you're familiar with Willow Creek. And so the whole idea was that people would come to us and if they were seeking God, we need to be ready for those seekers coming to the church. Do you, do you, is that what Jesus is doing? Is the shepherd waiting for the lost sheep to come back to the fold? No, the shepherd's going out to find the lost sheep. Is the woman like waiting for, I'll just go about my business and go about my life and just keep doing what I'm doing and maybe I'll stumble across the lost coin in my day-to-day life. No, she stops everything and she starts to seek the coin. See, the point of the parable and the answer to the Pharisees is this church, that church, we are the seekers. We are the seekers. We're to be the ones seeking out others and drawing them and encouraging them in their relationship with God. We have to be looking at people through the redemptive lenses of God and saying, you know, if you wanna have a relationship with God, I wanna help you, I wanna encourage you. But we go out, we seek out. We don't wait for them to seek us. That's the point of the parable. And that's what Jesus is saying to the religious community, that we're the seekers. You know, this is Set Free Freedom Sunday and I remember recently watching a documentary of a, of a gentleman who was going into Thailand 
and he was finding women caught up in the sex traffic, the sex slave trade, and he was going to them and he was buying them back. He was actually going in to find them in their neighborhoods where they were in the trade, and then he was going to their, I guess they're called pimp, what's, what's the terminology, international terminology? Pimp? Boss? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not yeah, I don't, I'm not. So there, he would go to them and he says, I want to buy this woman back. And then he would go to them and he would buy them out of the sex trade and set them up in an apartment, feed them, take their kids with them, and give them a home and find them a way to get into a, a safe place. So what did he do? Did he wait for the women to come to him? Or did he go and find where they were, right? And then what did he do? He, did, he paid the price, <laughs> Right? Exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to us. Jesus was sent to our world. Jesus sought us out and ransomed us and purchased us and bought us back and brought us back into relationship with God, back to freedom in God. You know, the thing, the reason I remember that documentary is because he talked about, they interviewed him. And he was talking about how heartbroken he was because every time he paid for this woman, he was actually handed a receipt for her life. A receipt for a few hundred American dollars. Think about that. And the point of this parable, actually, if you keep reading the prodigal son story, the point of the parable and the point of Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, look, People are priceless. They're, they're, you can't put a value. You can put a value on a sheep. You can put a value on a coin, but you cannot put a value on a lost relationship between a child and a parent. You can't value. You can't put a value on that. And that person's relationship with God is the most valuable thing, one of the most valuable, priceless things. And they are valuable and they are priceless. You can't give a receipt for somebody's life. I would say that this is part of the issue with culture. In that when we remove God from culture, we begin to then, we, then we become the determiners of value and worth rather than God. So if we remove God from the, from the idea, the concept of value, then we can start to assign values and we can start to create value for every human being as we see fit. But is God, the fact that God has created us and wants to be in relationship with us and God's saying, you're priceless, you matter, to God is the point that they, th- this, is, this is making. So we're to be the seekers. <laughs> we're to seek other people out. The other thing, and this is, this is the part where I think it gets a little bit difficult for us as people in the church, is that one of the things Jesus is saying to the, to the religious community of his day, he's saying this, that the needs of sinners take priority over the needs of saints. I, I wanna say that again. The needs of sinners take priority over the needs of saints. I've been pastoring for enough time now to know that <clears throat> that gets answered differently in the church. I think in the church, we spend a lot of time focusing on the needs of saints over the needs of sinners. When, when the woman lost her coin, uh, let's, let's assume... This is patriarchal society. We're going to assume that she's in a domestic household where her duties are to cook dinner. She's cooking dinner when she realizes the coin's lost. Do you think she keeps cooking dinner for her family? Or does she stop cooking dinner and look for the coin? How many people have lost a cell phone? 
right? When you lost your cell phone, did you just keep going about your day like nothing had happened? Be honest, right? No, you didn't. You, you stopped everything you were doing to look for your cell phone or your car keys or your wallet. You stopped everything. What became your number one priority at that moment? The cell phone, the wallet, right? That's became your priority. I think about that. You know, what, if, our, if my daughters, if something had happened to my daughters, my two daughters, I would go to the ends of the earth to find them to seek them out, to bring them back home. I would do whatever it took as dad to do that. And I would set aside everybody. I would, you would not see me here preaching on Sunday if something happened. I would be gone because that would be my priority. I want you to think about everybody in the world is a son or daughter of God. Why are we not pursuing that? On God's behalf, not on our behalf, not for our relationship with God, not for us to feel better about ourselves. That's not what this is about. It's the fact that we value other people and we value their relationship with God. Do we not see that they're missing from our church? Now I'm gonna meddle a little bit. I want you to imagine, this is hypothetical. This is not gonna happen. Let me just put that out there. You walk into church next Sunday and this organ's gone. How would you react? Or, or what if you walked in next week and the altar wasn't here and this whole stage looked different? Or, or what if the flags weren't here anymore on the sides and they were just gone? How would you react when you came into church? What, what would be your response? Because they were missing. Don't answer out loud. I've been in church long enough, I'm gonna make an assumption. Some people would be upset, right? They would be upset because the things that, they, that mattered to them, the things that were of value to them would be gone. That's my point. What about people? Are people not more valuable than organs or flags or altars or see what I'm saying? If we're that passionate about things missing, artifacts missing from our church, what about the fact that people are missing from our church? Do they not matter more to God than those things? I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm saying where are our priorities as a church? Or is our priority and our mission focused on people or is it focused on maintaining an institution or the past? Are we, main, are, are we prioritizing our preferences over our mission to people and to helping people? Is that what we're doing? I'm just challenging that thinking. Don't answer. You can send me a snarky email later. But I'm asking the question of where our priorities are as a church. Now the challenge is, and I know what some people will say, and I feel it as they'll come and they'll say, but pastor, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard out there in the world. Amen, it is. It's hard out there in the world. We live in an environment that is becoming more anti-religious, anti-institution, anti-faith, anti-God, Apatheism is the new term now that we're, it's not that we, we just don't, we're just apathetic as a culture. We, or we've rejected or we've been hurt and so we reject. So what are we to do? What do we do in a culture that is moving away from God, that is not knowledgeable of God, that is rejecting God? How do you do that? Well, in the famous line of Finding Nemo, keep sweeping. You remember keep swimming, keep swimming? Remember Dory, right? What, what, what does the woman do? She keeps sweeping. 
She's looking for just one coin. She's not looking for 10 coins. She's just looking for one coin. And what is she doing? She just keeps sweeping and she's gonna sweep and sweep and sweep. And how much dirt is she gonna sweep through and sift through before she finds the coin? I think about that as, as a Christian in a, in a anti-Christian culture, anti-God culture, that I think at times I just need to keep sweeping through life and keep sweeping in ways that maybe I will catch a glimpse of the coin. Because when she was searching, notice the first thing that she does. What does she do? What did she do when she started? She lit a lamp, right? And she lit that lamp and she made it illuminate the room and then she swept and notice I love this uh, artist's rendition of this because she's looking in every nook and cranny because where would the coin have rolled probably underneath something behind something so she's going to great lengths to try and find the lost coin and the light what she's hoping what does the light do is that a coin is metal and so the light's going to reflect off the edge of that coin and reveal where the coin is And so I'm thinking about this in terms of when we're going through life, are we sweeping in such a way that we're looking for the light of God in somebody else or the hope of God in somebody else or the the glimpsing God's presence in somebody else's life? There's gonna be a lot of dirt we gotta clear away, a lot of obstacles, a lot of assumptions, a lot of misconceptions about Christians that need to be swept away so that the light, because everybody in them has the light of God in them, has the image of God in them, and we just gotta keep sweeping until we can see it, till the light reflects off of them. And we encourage that light in them. We encourage their relationship with God. I was playing in a, a co-ed volleyball league um, several years ago, and I was playing in this co-ed league, and we play, and then I noticed that most people I was with were not a part of the church, so um, I, I, I didn't get on anybody's case when they dropped the F-bomb on the court. I didn't do all that stuff, right? I just hung out. We hung out together. We spent time together. We played together. We won a few games together. But here's what happened after the game. I would get into these conversations with people. <laughs> Once they found out I was a pastor or a Christian, they would like sit on the sideline after the game and we'd have these great conversations about life, And oftentimes those conversations led into conversations about God in their life. Whether God was there or not there or existent or non-existent. And I loved those conversations. And I could begin to see in them this little glimmer that they were desiring God in their life. That they wanted to be in relationship with God. They just didn't know how to go about it or they didn't know if they'd fit in or they didn't know if they'd be rejected or they didn't know how they could take another step towards God. And they were great conversations And I think our conversations need to be encouraging. And here's what I would say, every conversation counts. You see, in the church we think, oh, I've gotta make somebody pray a prayer. But I would say to you that we may be, I think in people coming back and returning to God, there's a chain of events in their life. And we may just be just one link in that chain. And I would say that every single conversation that I have to encourage a person in their relationship with God, it counts even if they're not praying a prayer or, or whatever we're looking for. But I would say that every conversation that we have that encourages a person in their relationship with God, it counts. Because that's part of the sweeping and the revealing and the glimmering of hope and light. Every conversation matters to God. So I would say, keep the conversation going. <laughs> keep sweeping I know it's hard. 
Last week, anybody out runner, any runners here out in Discovery Park? I know there are runners here. Discovery Park, I know there's a couple of us. I was running down the trail towards a lighthouse and in the middle of the trail was a credit card, Alaskan Airline credit card. Brand new, no dirt on it yet. <laughs> Didn't need to sweep it off. I picked it up, memorized the number, the security code. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I picked it up and I looked at the name, Christine. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna hope that Christine is walking because I don't run that fast. <laughs> but I'm gonna find Christine. So I just start running down the trail with a credit card in my hand and I'm coming across people looking for Christine and sure enough, I come across, there's four young women up ahead of the trail and me and I, and I just yell out, is Christine here? And this one young woman, she shoots her hands up, that's me! It's like she won the lottery, you know? I'm like, whoa! Then she turns around, she's like, that's me, like, I won a prize or something. And I said, what's your last name? Because I wanted to make sure it was the right Christine. So she told me last name, which I can't pronounce, right? Started with a P or something. She, I said, that's gotta be you, because I can't pronounce that and you just pronounce it. So, and then I whipped out her credit card and I handed it to her. And she was like, but here's what happened. All of her friends, all four of them rejoiced. All four of them said, thank you. All four of them expressed gratitude. That's great, thank you, that's, thank you so much. That's wonderful. And I just kept running. But here's what I, you know, I enjoyed that. Did, did you enjoy that? You want to bring God joy? Return something to God. A lost coin, a lost sheep. Be a part of the search. Help return somebody that's priceless to God. We bring God joy when we participate in the search. That's what it says, there's more rejoicing in heaven. What brings God joy, you really wanna worship God? <laughs> you really wanna rejoice with God? You wanna bring God joy in your life? You wanna bring joy to your life? Help priceless people know God, find God, relate to God. You'll experience joy because God is rejoicing with you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you, we matter to you. Each single one, every single one of us here today matter to you. We are priceless to you regardless, regardless. And God, you so long for us to not be far from you. You long for us to be in relationship with you. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. Thank you for the one that you sent to seek us, seek us out, to find us where we were, to find us in this broken world and to redeem us and buy us back and purchase us out of this brokenness. And today we come to this table of bread and cup reminding us of that initiative that you took in Jesus Christ to be with us, to love us, to reach us, to call us back into relationship with you. And so we come to this table this morning and we pray God that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as we come to the table this morning, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and cup, that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ, so that when we leave here, we can be Jesus for the world. We can be the seekers. We can be the finders. We can be the ones sweeping through the dirt of our broken world. So God, thank you for redeeming us. 
Thank you for buying us back, so to speak, and liberating us from our brokenness. And so pour out your spirit and we pray together as you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.